0: folks in this room I can't say all the kids may not remember him that much but uh, most of us know the name Billy Graham and uh, Billy Graham and uh, he has spoken publicly about Jesus Christ preached the gospel more people uh, than uh, any person in human history he is easily one of the most recognizable most famous people on the face of of the planet And, and anybody knows anything about the harvest it's Billy Graham we uh, we've been talking uh, last week. We talked about the harvest, and this week Billy Graham said this. Though he said the evangelistic harvest is always urgent, the destiny of men and of nations is always being decided. Every generation, strategic. We're not responsible for the past generation, and we cannot bear the full responsibility for the next one. But we do have our generation. God will hold us responsible as to how well we fulfill our responsibilities to this age, and take advantage of our opportunities. And uh, I say amen, Doctor Graham and uh, Brother Graham, and looking there, and uh, we're standing at the threshold of what could be greatest and gathering of souls for the Lord Jesus Christ in the history of the church. And at this moment, you look around, there are more people on the, on the planet uh, earth that are lost without Jesus than ever before in human history. Just by sheer numbers, we can look and say the harvest truly is plenteous uh, and the labors are few. So uh, at this moment, the world is, is ripe for the taking. The opportunity for missions, evangelism, soul winning, kingdom growing, is unprecedented. It's it's there. There's no, uh, no doubt about it. There are more open doors in more countries to preach the gospel than ever before. Here in America, crime, drugs, abortion, euthanasia, homosexuality, breakup of the family have all combined to give us the most depressed, discouraged, disillusioned, culture and our nation's history and that was not putting anything about COVID in the middle of that not dealing with illness of any of it just dealing with the sickness of sin as we went through that list you go through and you say that that, that our nation our, our nation's history the question is not is there an opportunity but are we willing to seize the opportunity are we willing to get a hold of the opportunity? Someone has said there are four things that never return. The word that is spoken, the arrow that is shot, the life that is past, and the opportunity that's neglected. And while well, the Lord Jesus never failed to cease every opportunity to be a part of the harvest, in chapter 4, Jesus met a woman at the well. Seize the opportunity to bring that woman into the kingdom of God, and he did it to, to teach us that there are men and women at wells everywhere, thirsty for living water. We, uh, we can look, and they're waiting for someone just to take the opportunity to give them that living water and to satisfy their thirst for eternity. Now, the only way we will ever get excited about the harvest is if a couple of things happen, though. There A couple of things got to happen in your life and mine if we're going to get excited about the harvest. You, you, we've got to see the possibility of the harvest. Got to be able to see the possibility. Uh, we've got to seize the opportunity of the harvest. Those two things have to be have to be apart. So we're going to give us three things that ought to fire us up, ought to generate some energy within us, some things that ought to ought to get our heart hotter than the sun to be part of the harvest, and it includes. Food fields and fruits. So just to keep things simple for us, food fields and fruits and the food that ought to activate us. So remember the context of of the story. It's a hot summer day. Shortly after 12 o'clock noon, Jesus and his disciples have been traveling north from Jerusalem. They're passing through Samaria and uh, had reached a spot close to Jacob's well. The disciples left Jesus to go into the village to buy food, leaving Jesus beside the well. He meets a Samaritan woman who was indeed an adulteress. He spoke to her about her sin. He told her of the living water that would satisfy her thirst and in a few short moments brought her into the kingdom of God. When the disciples returned, they saw totally, a totally different Jesus. They left him tired, but they found him invigorated, refreshed. They left him hungry, and when he came back, his hunger was satisfied. I, uh, you go. Hmm. They, uh, they left him hot and thirsty. He came back, found him refreshed and thirsty no more. He says to them in chapter four, verse number thirty-two. The scripture tells us down there. He said unto them, "I have meat to eat that ye know not of." You know not. At first, the disciples, as usual, did not understand what he meant. Then Jesus went on to explain it down in verse number thirty-four. Down in verse number 34, he said, Jesus said to them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. To finish his work. So Jesus tells us what his favorite meal was. His appetizer was the word of God. uh, His appetizer was to get the word of God. And you remember when Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness, had no food of any kind, he could have turned rocks into, into fresh, hot, Bread sticks. Woo! It could have been something like the Olive Garden. It could have been like Texas Roadhouse, those rolls that come out. Woo! Now we're talking. It could have been, could have been Fazzoli's bread. Sti- I mean, woo! I mean, I, I'm going to, now think about that for a minute. I mean, we've I, I tease about it all the time. I joke about it. Our kids and I joke about it frequently. We will not go back to a restaurant if the bread's not good. It's just cut and dry. It doesn't happen that way. You don't get, so you come along and we get into this and you go, hmm, here it is and we're told that, that what is it that, that, that takes place? What happens? This, uh, he had no food. He could have turned the, uh, the rocks into fresh baked bread in heaven's oven, but no, he said, man shall not live by bread alone in Matthew 4, 4. He said, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God out of the mouth of God now this man now his main course was the will of God he said he said there in verse 34 my will my food is to do the will of him who sent me from the cradle to the grave the passion of Jesus life was to do the will of the father to do the will of the father as he began his ministry he made one thing, very plain. He said in John chapter 5 and verse number 30, he says, I, I don't seek to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Again, in John chapter 6 and verse 38, he said, I have come uh, down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me the one who, who sent me, the one who, who's called me. He came to the end of his ministry kneeling in the garden of Gethsemane in the shadow of the cross with the weight of the world world's sin upon his shoulders, the mocking of Satan in his ears, the demons of hell nipping at his heels, and he said, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will. Your will. Jesus, very simply, we can look and say, notice that, that Jesus called God's will, food, sustaining. You look and you say one of the marks that the the body is is healthy is, is it hungers for food. One of the marks the soul is healthy is it hungers to do the will of God, to do what God wants in your life and mine, to say, God, I want your will, your design. See, we ought to desire the will of God as much as a hungry man desires food. Now the only place of peace, the only source of satisfaction, and the only haven of, of happiness for the true child of God is the will of God. See a fish out of water? They're not happy, are they? You go, uh-uh, for God made that fish to swim. It's a simple picture. A, a bird in a, in a cage? They're not happy. Why? Because God made the bird to fly. You say that's, what he, that's how he designed them. How about a man in rebellion will not be happy because God made him to do his will. See, the great missionary Stanley Livingston once said, he said, I'd rather be in the heart of Africa in the will of God than on the throne of England out of the will of God. I'd rather be in Africa in the will of God than to be a king in England. That's what he was telling us. You look and you go, there it is. But there was one other part to the meal Jesus loved. His appetizer, the word of God. His main course was the will of God, but his dessert was the work of God. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to finish his work. As Jesus lived, as uh, lived, he fulfilled the will of God. Before he died, he finished the work of God. And he said in John 17, 4, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Finish the work that you called me to do. We, too, are to be fed on the word of God. We, too, uh, we, we are to find uh, the will of God for our lives. What's my design? What's the design? That God has called me to do. It is then that we finish the work of God. And there is one work we've all been called to finish. And that's the harvest of souls in the kingdom of God. The harvest of souls in the kingdom of God. So then the fields. The fields that ought to motivate us. That should motivate us. Now we look there and you look in verse number 35. He says say not ye. There are yet four months and then cometh the harvest. Behold I say to you lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white. Already to harvest. <laughs> you don't say. That's a simple way to say. It. Say not ye. You don't say. You don't really. There's still four months to come. I, I, now normally it took four months from the time of the end of sowing to the beginning of reaping. Some of you, I want you to think about that for a second. Our farmers will get busy when? And somewhere about the end of April or in April, little bit they'll start putting it in the ground won't they and then you have May and you have June you have July and you're ready some of them will start working in August some of them start working in August if they put it in a little bit later maybe they put it in 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 May or late May then you know what they're pulling it out in September and then some of that seed also carries a little bit farther into October, depending on, on the uh, on the plan or on the on the uh, on there. But notice he tells us very simple the harvest. Uh, we look at it here and we say it takes four months from the time of the end of sowing, to the beginning of reaping. But Jesus said the harvest is always now. The harvest is always now. There's an old story about a farmer that had an old grandfather clock and he used to. Uh, that used to chime on the hour and one morning the clock misfunctioned. It struck 17 times. Last time I checked the clock doesn't have a 17 on it. And it chi- it, uh, it did 17 times. The farmer jumped up, grabbed his wife, shook her, and he says, honey get up! It's later than it's ever been. Well, that's really what Jesus was saying. It's later than it's ever been. It's later than it's ever been and and, and it's later than, than it's ever been. And when it comes to the harvest, the fields are white. And if the, the harvest is not gathered, the fruit will spoil. We're watching some farmers now. They're a little concerned depending on the weather pattern. Some of them still have some corn in the field. And some of them are a little concerned. If they can't get in that field because of water or because of, of different reasons, then uh, that fruit, fruit's going to spoil. That, uh, that corn's going to going to be a problem. And you see, there was a problem. The problem was not the ripeness of the fields; it was the blindness of the farmers. That is why Jesus said, "Lift up your eyes. Look at the fields." Heard about a sales manager who called his salesmen together to try to encourage them to to have a greater vision for their company. He uh, he encouraged them, and he had a big white poster board set up in the conference room, and in the middle of that por- poster, he had drawn a a black circle around. Uh, about the size of a quarter. It's not real big, the size of a quarter. And you go, there it is. And he asked one of his salesmen to come and tell him what they saw on the poster. Well, the first one said, I see a black dot. The second one says, I see a black dot. The third one said, I see a black dot. All 35 salespeople in that room said the same thing, I see a black dot. The salesman or manager looked at them for a moment and then said, Isn't that isn't it strange that all of you saw the black dot? But none of you saw the white that went all the way around it. The white that went all the way around it. See do we see the fields? white in the harvest do we see the white instead of the dot? see we might pick on the teacher and we might say do you see students or do you see fields we might pick on the businessman see do you see employees or do you see fields are white the harvest we might look at the coach and say do you see a gym or uh, in the gym do you see athletes or do you see fields that are white for the harvest or students?" In your school, do you see classmates or do you see fields that are white to the harvest? See, if the fields were ripe then, how much more ripe are they now? If they were ripe then, how much more today? You know, there are ten times as many people living today who have never heard the gospel as the entire population of the world was when Jesus made that statement. Now, that makes you think a little bit. Jesus made that statement and on the face of this earth, right now, there are ten times as many people that know not Jesus. That's a lot of people. Even the teacher back there is having trouble wrapping her head. I'm giving you a second to wrap your head around that for for, for that opportunity. You go, what? You know what? So it's, 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 it's nah, I'm going to keep moving. I'll behave myself. Two out of every three people on the planet have never been... Presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now think about it. If only 25% of the population responded, that would be one billion people, four times the population of the United States of America. 25% would be more than the United States of America's entire population. You uh, you go, hmm, Dr. James uh, McCronkey uh, told a Scottish botanist who... Uh, was out in the field studying a little plant in a very small plant called a, a heather bell. The, the botanist was, was down on his knees and he had his magnifying glass. He's studying the little flower and he looked at that one little flower for over two hours. <laughs> An old shepherd saw him and was amused that there was a grown man on his knees with a magnifying glass. He uh, looking at a little flower and the botanist uh, looked up and he saw the shepherd with a smirk on his face and the botanist said, come over here. The shepherd walked over. The botanist pulled pulled him down by his side putting the magnifying glass in his hand and he said, look at this. Look at this. The old shepherd looked and he saw the exquisite beauty that uh, the little Heather Bell had and then he stood to his feet with a, a tear streaming down his cheeks and he made this statement. He said, oh, to think how many of those I've trampled under my feet and I never knew they were there. I never knew they were there. I wonder how much of the harvest you and I have trampled under our feet. We didn't even see that they were there. Didn't even notice. Didn't pay attention. Didn't see the fruit that ought to stimulate us. Why should, should we be a part of the harvest? He who reaps receives wages, gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Verse 36 there, the word fruit refers to grain that would be brought into the barn or fruit that would be picked from the trees. In the Old Testament, it was called the sheaves. Some of us have been around church a long time. We might remember the song we used to sing, Bringing in the Sheaves. Bring in the sheaves. And people go, what is that? Because we don't understand the concept of bringing in the sheaves anymore. And and uh, we don't get it the, in, in that term. But Jesus said that this is fruit for eternal life. Every time we share the gospel and, and someone receives Jesus Christ, we've put into the God's storehouse eternal fruit. Now the fruit is imperishable. It cannot be spoiled by time. The fruit's incorruptible. It cannot be destroyed by the locust of life. This fruit lasts forever. Now, we're not to do what we do for reward. We are to do what we do because we love the Lord Jesus, because of who he is and our love for him. But when we do what we do out of love for Jesus, he rewards and God pays top wages. He takes care of us. I heard a man, about a man that was, was asked to work on Sunday. He said, oh, no, I cannot work on Sunday. I have to go down to my church and, and work on Sunday. The boss was kind of a smart aleck, and he said, well, what do they pay down there? He said, oh, the pay isn't very good, but the retirement plan is tremendous. I want to ask the question, do we believe that Jesus, what Jesus said here about being a part of the harvest? I believe about that I'm a part of the harvest. Do you believe that when you sow or when you reap that you gather fruit for eternal life? See nobody could say it quite like Charles Spurgeon did. A great preacher once said he said if someone were to offer you a thousand dollars for every person you reach for Christ would you make more of an effort than you do now? See we might put it this way see Mr. Spurgeon said that, <laughs> and a thousand dollars would be the equivalent of me looking at you today and saying, "If God gave you a million dollars, would you do more witnessing today for every soul that came to Jesus?" See, if you take a look at it and you think about it that way, you go, "Hmm, He used thousand dollars, but do you realize that the equivalent of it today would be just that—a million—and you go, "Would we do more for the reward?" Or for the eternal crown. Am I willing to serve for that? Notice one other thing. Jesus said whether uh, you sow. Or whether you reap. You get a reward for. for In, in this case it's true. Verses 37 and 38. And herein is that saying. Saying true. One soweth another reapeth. I sent you to reap. That whereupon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored. And ye are entered into their labors entered into their labors you realize you may not always see the harvest you just you might keep sowing the seed because god rewards both the sower and the reaper he's the one who rewards the sower and he's the one who gives the harvest the one who does the, has the privilege to see who reaps. We can draw two lessons from this from the statement: No witness is ever wasted, no opportunity is ever wasted, and no work worker is ever worthless. One of the great uh, Baptist preachers in England named Francis Dixon. Francis Dixon had a, a young man in his church who was uh, uh, whose name was Peter, and he asked Peter to, to share his testimony of how he became a Christian. He stood up and he said, "I was in." The Royal Navy stationed in Sydney, Australia. I was walking down George Street when out of nowhere came a little old white haired man. He said to me, Excuse me, sir, I would like to ask you a question. I hope it won't offend you, but tell me, if you were to die today, where would you be in eternity? Where would you be in eternity? The Bible says it will be either be in Heaven or in hell, one of the two, think about it, would you please? That's all, sir. God bless you. And toodle do. Peter said, I never had anybody ask me that question before, and so it burdened me that when I got back to England, the first thing I did was to seek out the pastor, and I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. Not long after that, Dr. Dixon had what we call here in America a revival meeting. You'd say, that's very simple. He had a revival meeting. He had a half a dozen or so people on the revival team, and one of those was a young man named Noel. Noel was asked to give his testimony. He said, here's the way I was saved. I was in the Royal Navy stationed in Sydney, Australia. I was walking down George Street in Sydney. One day when out of nowhere came a little white-haired man who said, excuse me, sir, I would like to ask you a question and I hope it won't offend you. But tell me, if you were to die, where would you be in eternity? The Bible says it would be in heaven or in hell. Think about it, would you please? That's all. God bless you. toodle do, toodle do. He say, there he is. He said, I was so burdened by that that I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ that at the end of the meeting, Peter came to him and he said, No, you shared my testimony. Exactly. Exactly. Not long after that, Dr. Dixon uh, went on a world speaking tour in Australia and he was so moved by this testimony that a Baptist church in the city of Adelida, Adelida he told the same story about two men, both of those two men. And while he was speaking, a man stood up, which was very unusual in churches in Australia, and he waved his hand and he said, Dr. Dixon. Dr. Dixon said, yes, sir, what is it? He said, "Uh, uh, sir, I am another convert. I was walking down George Street in Sydney, Australia, when out of nowhere came a little old white-haired man and asked me those questions And that's the way I eventually came to Christ. From the city of of Adelaide, Dr. Dixon went all the way across Australia to the western city of Perfta, and he shared this story again. When the service was over, a deacon came up, and a deacon said, Dr. Dixon, I'm another one of those converts. I was walking down George Street, and Sydney, Australia, and the same thing happened to me. A young lady overheard their conversation and said, excuse me, but I'm also a convert. I was walking down George Street in Sydney, Australia when out of nowhere came this little white-haired old man. Well, not long after that, Dr. Dixon was asked to speak in Keswick, which is a tremendous Bible conference in the northern part of England, and he was sharing the story, and uh, when it was over, a man came up to him and he said, "Sir, I'm another convert. I was walking down George Street in Sydney, Australia, when out of nowhere came that little man. Came that little man." Doctor Dixon later on was on another tour in his time preaching in India and uh, to missionaries, and they said, "Would you, would you talk to us about personal evangelism?" <laughs> What do you think what story you think is going to come up that's pretty simple he told the story of the little white-haired man in Sydney Australia and when the service was over a female missionary came up to him and said Dr. Dixon I am another convert I was walking down George Street in Sydney Australia when a little white-haired man came up to me later on Dr. Dixon was also preaching in Jamaica and he shared the same story and the man came up to him and said, there I am one of that little white-haired man's converts. Well, Dr. Dixon decided it's time for one more trip. It's time for a trip to Australia. He said, I want to see the little old man. He went to Sydney and he asked a, a Christian friend he knew there, do you know the little old man who stands out on George Street asking people this question? If you were to die today, where would you be in eternity? His friend said, "Oh yes, sure, he's Mr. Jenner. all of us know him. He's very feeble now. he doesn't get out on the streets any longer because he he really can't see very well Dr Dixon said, what well, could can you take me to his house?" The man said, surely so they went to the house of this little old man and Francis Dixon walked in, introduced himself, told the little man of all these people all over the world that he'd come to Jesus Christ because of this man's witness the little old man broke down and he began to weep and he said sir this is the first time in my life I've ever known anybody to come to Jesus through my witness the first time see he was a sower everybody else came along and they had the privilege to reap he had the, they had the privilege to reap. He was the sower. God honored them both. God had honored both of them. Some people have the privilege to see many folks come to know Jesus as Savior. Some folks have the opportunity to, to lead many. I think of the Billy Graham's in our world, and I go, there's there's an example. I can think of several great soul winners and I can go, there's some great examples. And there are some that have presented the gospel over and over and over again. And I can't help but look and go, God honors them both. Keep sowing the word. Keep sharing the gospel. See, I'd say fall in love with Jesus and get a burning love for the harvest. But to... To do that, we've got to lift our eyes. And we've got to see that the fields, they don't have a black spot. It's a white harvest. There's a huge field out there. Huge field. Heard about the man who went to Africa as a shoe salesman. He was only there a few days he wrote back to his employer and he said bring me home you made a terrible mistake it's horrible people here they don't wear shoes and they brought him home not long after that a man came and applied for the job at the same company he was told the only place we have for you is just in africa they sent him over to Africa. He said, I'll go. And they said, they sent him over there to the same place where the other salesman had been. And after a few days, he wrote back, but he wrote back a little different story. He said, This, send me all the shoes you can get. I've never seen so many prospects because they don't wear shoes in Africa. See, there are prospects everywhere, the fields are wide under harvest. May God send us as laborers with a love for the harvest a love for the harvest you know what I find interesting as we read that portion of scripture point out one other piece and that is the fact that Jesus didn't ask us and he didn't tell us to say Lord give me souls he said pray for laborers pray for laborers you know I like to say this be careful what we pray for sometimes. You might be the answer to that prayer. And I believe when it comes to the harvest, you and I, we are the answer to that prayer. Lord, send forth laborers. That's your job. That's your job. That's my job. We're to share the gospel with those we come in contact with, we're to look for those opportunities. Look for those opportunities. And the scripture tells us to be wise as a serpent. Remember back in the garden, a serpent was pretty sneaky. Wise as a serpent. And the scripture also says to be harmless as a dove. But he also tells us be ready always to give an answer of the hope that is within us. I like these words. With meekness and fear. I don't have to argue with people about the gospel. I can tell them how Jesus has changed my life. Can't argue with that. How's he changed our life? When we share our God, when we tell our story, when we tell what he's done in our life, And what the law and the love of the harvest is plentiful. So let's share the gospel. Let's share the gospel wherever we go. Let's pray together. Father God, we're thankful for the privilege to be able to gather tonight. I thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that you would stir our souls up. Stir us in such a way that... uh, as we go about our business this week, whether it's at school, whether it's out shopping, whether it's it's at work, or whether, no matter where we might be, Lord, that you would give us that opportunity. Lord, that we'd look for those opportunities, that we would see those people that are all around us. And Lord, that you give us that opportunity to see one come to know you as Savior. Lord, I can't think of a greater excitement Than to hear folks share, I had the privilege to pray with somebody this week. I had the privilege to lead somebody this week. So, Lord, I ask that you help us. Help us to be so bold. Give us the boldness. Help us to see the opportunity. For the harvest truly is plenteous. And the laborers are few. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Let me encourage you guys. You might see a camera sneaking around here.